Hi, everyone. Before we get into our episode today, I just wanted to point out that at the end of the episode, we kind of have a strange style difference, and that's because I'm including a conversation that Ryan and I had after this podcast. Usually, we take some of that stuff out and make it feel cleaner and more in sync, uh, but I thought it was just too good to, to leave out. So you're going to get a little bit of the behind the scenes and what that sounds like as Ryan and I talk about the podcast we're recording as we record it. You're going to hear that right before the close for our episode, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you learn a little bit about us, but more importantly, um, what it looks like to live on the frontier. Without further ado, here is our podcast on other religions. Hi everyone, welcome to Frontier Faith, a a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it, where you're going, or anything like that. It's just a podcast where we recognize we're on a frontier between where we grew up and where we eventually will be, and we're enjoying the journey and discovering things along the way. I'm Nathan Whitaker. And I'm Ryan Harris. And today we're going to venture into uncomfortable territory, which is not uncommon for us, but this time we're going to do so around other religions. We're going to talk about other religions, our relationship to them, and uh, what we can do uh, in the face of other religions in our own faith life, but especially in our uh, interactions with uh, people who practice those religions in our life and in our communities. And I think a really good place to start is actually just briefly summarizing kind of how we grew up. And I think Ryan and I probably grew up with the same general gist of how we view other religions. But Ryan, how did that uh, how did that experience growing up with other religions pan out for you? Yeah, I imagine it's probably going to be pretty identical, but um, or close enough for government work anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, I think. Uh, well, no, I know. <laughs> I was taught that, uh, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to God. So um, people in other religions were, quote, lost, right? Probably headed to mm-hmm. hell and they died. And, you know, we needed to uh, preach the gospel to them so they could be, quote, saved, <laughs> you know, um, even to the point of, the, I, you know, there were um, missionaries who would go to, I don't know, Saudi Arabia, India, wherever, take your pick, Africa. And with the express purpose of, say, um, being a missionary to Muslims or to, you know, Hindu people or whatever it was. And, you know, in my world, there was a real hero culture around people who did that. Because, like, I even remember hearing stories about, like, this guy went to somewhere in the Middle East, I don't remember where, and he went with no money and nowhere to live because God supposedly told him to and, and you know, was living on the street until God did cool things. And, you know, this was held up like this is what we should all do kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And even when I was in that world, I was like, um, well, <laughs> maybe not. But um, anyway, like that approach, right? This idea that um, we have the market cornered on the truth and um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we understand it, needs to be preached to everybody and they have to convert to the same thing we believe, or at least close to what we believe, right? 
Um, I mean, they can be Baptists as long as they're not Catholics, but uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Sort of. Um, yeah. But that idea of like, uh, we had to save them because I mean, I even remember hearing people talk about like how these people were deceived by evil spirits and false gods. Mm. And which is funny. Cause I remember hearing that about Buddhism and I was like, well, but they don't have a God, but yeah, anyway, right. so that kind of stuff was pretty much where, where we were at. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty much us too. I mean, if we're saying that about other Christians, <laughs> we're going to say that about other <laughs> well, Right. Yeah. I imagine so. Right? <laughs> uh, so we weren't, we didn't use that word saved all that much. We would talk about uh, coming to the full knowledge of Jesus Christ and we would talk about uh, justified, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the general gist was the same. Jesus, that passage, the way, the truth, the light, that was always preached in uh, contrast to people who believe differently. And Jesus was the one who declared he is the only way and they think to heaven is mm-hmm. kind of how that's translated. Right. Um, or to salvation, which would be probably a broader sense, but doesn't seem like something Jesus would say, more of what Paul would say, I guess. Um, and I'm thinking just out loud, but I don't think there's much in terms of Paul is there where it's like specifically. Well, I mean, he went different places on what they call missionary journeys. But even that, like, I don't know that that looked like what we talk about as missionary stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's totally dissimilar, but. I think it's just um, with this subject, especially we've really taken our uh, Protestant Western um, enlightenment and before probably, I guess, you know, um, kind of uh, ideas about how all this works. And that's what we see in the text. And I don't know, should we talk a little bit about that text in where Jesus says that? Um, Well, I want to, I want to first fill out like our answers. So that's what we were preached at by or whatever. We <laughs> preached at we by. Heard. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Now I'm going to no. have to edit that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So that's what we were preached at. And um, yet, you know, the two questions that kind of to fill it out is what did that do to our relationship to other religions as religions? And then other practitioners of those religions. And for me, the first one, what does it do? And we'll answer these back and forth. Um, The first one, what does this do to other religions as other religions? Well, I think it very clearly just said other religions are wrong. And anything that uh, within their faith was good would be kind of like a gospel handle. In other words, it'd Mm. be something you could use to show people to Jesus. And I don't know if there was much thought in that. Like, does God create those handles for us to use as Christians? That seems like a bit too conspiracy theory for me, but you know, I, I had a professor in seminary who um, the one I went to before we went to one together, who he was from India and he had this whole, it was like an eight hour lecture because it was a weekend class. Wasn't great. Anyway, he had this (laughs) whole thing about, well, I think he called them redemptive keys. And in this ah. case, he was talking about them in Hinduism, right? And I don't remember the name of it, but he even talked about some kind of figure. I don't remember if it was in the Gita or the Upanishads, but whichever, that was very much a Christ-like figure. And 
you know, that kind of stuff that he thought that in every faith, I guess, outside of Satanism, <laughs> there was some kind of thing placed there um, through some kind of like, he didn't say any of this explicitly, but at least that I remember this was a long time ago, but that there were these redemptive keys that were there to help lead people to faith in Christ. Yeah, that's basically how I think other religious faiths were perceived. Uh, first of all, wrong, right? They're mm-hmm. wrong. Uh, they're not right. Any goodness from that was a gospel handle, something you could use to turn it towards Jesus. Mm-hmm. And everything else was either unhelpful or neutral. It was just like keeping you busy or leading you away from Jesus. It's interesting because that's somewhat more benign than the way I was taught, right? Well, no one ever told me that, say, for example, every individual Muslim was, you know, an evil person. Um, I think there was the idea that these people were, like I said, were deceived and that their faith that they were taught and lived was, you know, would lead people astray, was a false gospel that might even come from demons, you know, these kinds of things. And uh, so, I mean, very similar, but it, it, there was a more, more malignant tone to it in terms yeah. of how we viewed the other faiths. It's interesting. So then what did that do for you um, growing up when it came to Ilya's talking about, I don't know if you experienced people of other religions, but if, if it's evil, <laughs> it doesn't leave a lot of room for people, especially if they're deceived or whatever. What, right. what do you do with people of other religions, other practitioners? Yeah. No, I mean, I lived, I grew up in fairly monochromatic places, right? And so I don't remember a lot of exposure to people of other faiths. I, I think I had a friend in um, in grade school, and his name was Rahim, and I think he was from India, maybe Pakistan, I can't remember. But like in those days, I didn't really I don't know what his, you know, like, I don't know how religious he was or, you know, fourth graders, you know, but, (laughs) um, so anyway, I think what it did for me was, so I didn't think about it a lot, except when I would hear, you know, cause missionaries are a pretty big part of the faith life I came from. There's this idea that we're all missionaries all the time, but especially those people who go out into all the world. Right. Um, and so I guess when I thought about them, it was more of either like a pity, right? In the sense that like these poor people are deceived and they need someone to save them. I mean, they need Jesus to save them, but apparently Jesus needs us to do that. And uh, as I got older, I think I became less comfortable with that, but I was still kind of held captive in the, well, I don't know what to tell you. Jesus said it, take it up with him kind of thing. Okay. You know? Um, I don't, I don't know what else I can say there. So that was, I think, I don't think I ever thought of them in terms of like, as their personhood as inferior, but I definitely thought of them as like, you know, deceived, lost. Um, their faith was certainly inferior to mine because I had the truth and they didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would a conversation with someone like that go? What would you... What would it look like when you talk to somebody of another faith? Yeah, I I don't know that I had too many, but I think had I done that, the paradigm I would have had was, well, we got to find ways to witness to them, right? We got to find ways to get them saved. And so I don't know that 
especially since I was a fairly anxious child, I probably wouldn't have, if I met someone and they were, you know, a Buddhist or something, I wouldn't have said, okay, well, let me tell you about Jesus right off the bat, because I would have been, although people probably would have told me that is what I should do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but I think I would look, if this was someone I had some kind of relationship with, I would look for ways to talk about my faith in a, in a way that I felt like I could do that wasn't necessarily like pressuring them, but also, you know, was quote unquote, giving them the truth. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm the same way. It was more like in the realm of convincing though. Like, yeah. so we were always like trying to convince people that they were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> we were too, right. Especially with this stuff. And I think whenever we met resistance, because you do, right? People don't generally think they're believing wrong things. Well, just like if someone came to me and said, hey, let me tell you why everything about your faith yeah, is wrong. Right. It's like, uh, okay. Um, we would just say that would require some more teaching and more learning. And so, you know, as good Lutherans, we want to get people into Bible studies and Word and Sacrament, go to worship service, all that kind of stuff to help them see through the preaching of the Word, through the study of the Word especially, that they were wrong and that mm -hmm. Jesus is better. Right. And that right. was basically what it was. I know that I know that there are Christian Lutherans who believe that they're believing something evil, especially with uh, Islamophobia. Is that how yeah. you would say that? I mean, that's very much in the mix for sure. Yeah. Well, it wasn't when I was growing up as much, right? It was more just like a because 2000, I was just graduating high school. So mm -hmm. for me growing up, it, it wasn't a high school thing or, or below. It was more, I started to notice it in college, but then I wasn't in Lutheran circles exclusively like I was right. younger. So I didn't really see that um, growing up. I don't know what that looked like after um, 9-11, but uh, to be clear, not because they deserve it because of 9-11, but because that changed American Christianity and in, in such a way to hate Muslims. Mm -hmm. um, and I did notice it in high, in college, but it was mostly around evangelicals that I knew. And yeah, not, not that Lutherans can believe that, but that was just my experience is other religions were, I like that word benign, like they were wrong. Don't hear me wrong, but they were not evil in that they were actively thwarting against Christian stuff. It was more like we really struggled with the question, what happens when somebody dies and they never get a chance to hear about Jesus? Where oh, they us too. Yeah. No, you know, and it was yeah. like our response to that isn't um, this missional drive, but more importantly, or more precisely for us, it's this like <laughs> educating drive of convincing people and persuading them through this, that Jesus is real or the way. With that said, what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of explore together what, what it means for us now. And we really want to show you today living on the frontier, that it really is about not knowing when you're on the frontier. Because Ryan and I, are, we're going to talk about a few things here. Uh, we've prepared just basically what we want to talk about, not how we want to talk about them. And you're going to find out pretty quickly that we don't have any answers to these things, but 
we think that they're a good way to start getting around to understanding where we find ourselves. So the first one was actually that passage that we both brought up, which is from John chapter 13. I think so. uh, Where Jesus answers Thomas and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And as we were talking about this beforehand, Ryan, I said that What's interesting is in my world, especially, and I'm sure this is certainly true in yours because yours is a bit more beholden to modern sensibilities than even mine, um, just in different ways, I think. Uh, It seems like many people read that passage as though Jesus is like speaking above the text, not within the story, and just kind of saying this objective truth to all the readers. It's kind of like almost a wink and a nudge to all readers, like, hey, yeah. Are you getting this? I'm the only way. You um, want to go to heaven? Believe yeah. in me, folks. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I just want to know what you think of that. Is that, first of all, it sounds like that's how you were taught it. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, definitely. What about now? Is that kind of how you see it? You know, I'm not really sure how to see it, at least in terms of, I don't know how to see it in like total, right? So, as much as I would, part of me would like to just say, no, nah, that's not what it means. Everybody's good. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure I can do that. Right. Like there's something to the uniqueness of Jesus. I still think that there's something about Jesus that is different and special and um, revelatory, right? Like that, that's something I don't want to give up. And I don't think that we necessarily have to. That being said, like you said, we have to situate what Jesus says there within the story. And I think we were talking about it. And I think Thomas is asking, uh, how do we get where you're going? Right. Or something like that. Um, So, you know, Thomas says, well, how do we go with you? And Jesus says, this is how you go with me. Um, And I guess. I wonder, and this is just, you know, we're just talking out loud here. I wonder, is there a way that Jesus could be, quote, the way and the truth that maybe means something a little different? Like, for example, and this sounds so condescending when I say it, so I don't know. This is why I've not been able to land on this either. But like an example would be, is it possible that Jesus is the way and the truth for everybody, whether they know it or not kind of idea? Like, you know, maybe they, um, maybe Jesus has some kind of redemptive power that is different. Like maybe that's one of the things that's unique about Jesus and he can, you know, redeem or save people even if they were in some other faith or something. And it's like, part of me says, well, that sounds good. And I like that. And that is cool. But then I think, but then I'm still saying, right, that my faith is the best and everyone else's is inferior and, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, So, yeah, I really wrestle with what to do with that, partly because I think, you know, that kind of reading of the text, I think, is at the very least a lot more difficult than we want it to be. You know, if nothing else, we should acknowledge that Jesus isn't addressing the question that we are asking. And I don't know if that means you can't use it to answer that question. But at the very least, we have to say it's not what he's talking about. It was uh, for anyone who's listening. Um, this is not a new question or even a new hypothesis, right? C.S. Lewis 
suppose this in his book, The Last Battle, which I think has come up every once in a while as we yeah. chat. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, the Muslim nation, or the, yeah, the Muslim nation, or at least, you know, it's not Muslim, the Muslim in the book. Muslim analog, but, yes. Yeah. Uh, there is somebody of that nation in the heaven of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And C.S. Lewis there, through the dialogue, suggests that exactly what you're suggesting, which is maybe Jesus, or Aslan in this sense, is working in ways that we can't see, that he is working to create authentic faith in Jesus in ways that they don't know it's actually Jesus type thing. Right, right. And, you know, I think generally my perception of this, at least at the seminary I was a part of, was that was seen pretty positively, that possibility. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Because it was not not where I came from. Okay. That would be where you came. Yeah, no, that idea would be very much... uh, um, not just uh, looked down upon, but you know, probably thought of as heretical, right? Because it they would they would say it gives us a reason to not need to preach the gospel because Jesus mm. is just going to work it all out anyway, right? Okay, and it says that even if ours is somehow the best truth, it says that there's still a fair amount of truth in these other religions that we've been saying are you know inspired of the devil, right? Like that doesn't there's no room for those two things. If you believe that. Okay. Um, Which we didn't have that hang up of the last one. We weren't saying any of those were inspired by the devil, at least not in my experience. I never thought of other religion. Like, like like you gave the caveat, maybe Satanism, but yeah, you know, Satanism wasn't really a thing that was um, (laughs) not like it is now where there is a, I mean, I don't know how big it is, but there is a, a thing. There's a church of Satan and all this kind of stuff. Right. But when we were kids, that wasn't really a thing like it is now, at least not as far as I know anyway, maybe exactly. Not and my field. So we, didn't, we didn't really have that narrative or that hurdle to overcome, which was, well, if religions aren't of the devil, then what are they? Uh, that would be a significant question asking your, in your heritage. I right. Think. Right. And I mean like the, the, but, but I think that also, that idea of salvation kind of undergirds a lot of the stuff for us. Right. Um, in the sense that like, well, we have to preach the truth to these people. We have to get them saved and believing in Jesus because otherwise they're going to go to hell or whatever it is. And I mean, if you believe that, well, yeah, you should be going all over the world and trying to to get huh. people not to go to hell. Right. Um, like yeah. if, if you actually believe that and you keep it to yourself, then you gotta, you gotta wonder about that. But what about so here's how we kind of heard that was more in the lens of purity, right? So uh, what I mean by that, wow, that was a lot of pauses. Uh, what I mean by that is the pure gospel, the mm-hmm. pure truth is within Lutheranism, of course, but then maybe Christianity. <laughs> I say that only kind of in jest. Yeah. And then other religions may point to the truth. I, I don't think anybody would say they have truth right in this like more receptive we we do yeah yeah Yeah. but the way that they point to truth would be like an impure pointing it'd be like a um kind of getting you in the general gist of the area rather than directly to jesus and that's where the church stands in to be able to get people all the way there is kind of how they would view that right 
But I mean, like my question that even when I was still firmly in that world that always bothered me was like, okay, so I have faith in Jesus because I was born in the United States to Christian parents, right? But you mean to tell me someone who was born in Northern India, who'd never even heard of Jesus and was say they were either a Buddhist or a Hindu because that's where they were born. They're just SOL, right? Unless right. one of us manages to find them and tell them about Jesus and get them saved. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, I think the answer to that, at least in my world, was yes, right? That's why we had to go preach the gospel everywhere and why missionaries were so venerated and all that, because, um, you know, they they took that seriously uh, more so than maybe some of the rest of us did. But Yeah, but I all <laughs> so... You're pointing at like a big question. I think every Christian deals with this question. If you're listening to this, I'm sure it was something that you grappled with at some point because all of us do, I think, in the West at least. And so here's where I kind of do in my own mind, like you don't actually believe what you say you believe. And I don't mean this in a condescending, like I know what you really believe, but um, you know, if you really believed that people who didn't know who Jesus was are burning in hell or have the potential to burn in hell, then why not just like that? That's what you should devote your time to. Yeah, your whole life. Yeah. Right. You should devote literally everything to that. And, you know, so I think there's some room that most people are like, I don't know if I really believe that. Like my yeah. best friend who's who's a good guy, he's not going to I I can't believe he's going to burn in hell forever just because he doesn't believe in Jesus. Well, especially when we do, you know, when you do run into someone from another faith, I mean, what happens if you do and they're <laughs> they're a lot kinder than all the Christians yeah, you know right. or whatever it is, you know. Well, um, we always use Mormons as the example. Mormons yeah. are like the nicest and most clean people publicly when it comes to their actions. Um, publicly, yeah. And publicly. Most yeah. of them privately too, yes. Yeah. So what what makes it so that a, Ro- or that a Mormon who's nicer than any Christian I've ever met deserves to go to hell? And they even read the Jesus. Bible, and then they yeah, have a bonus exactly. Bible too. But, you know, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's that, it's that, uh, and like, I would always wonder too, like, if there are these, quote, redemptive keys or handles that you we could use is like, okay, but why did God put those there and not make them more explicit if that's what they are for, yeah. right? Why did, why does it have to be like a secret code that we can unlock and show people, hey, you already believe what we believe, you just don't know it, right? Right. Like, I mean, God can do whatever God wants, I suppose, but that just seemed you know, if God really wants everybody to be saved in the way that I was taught what that meant, then why why is God making us need a decoder ring to define <laughs> these things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think we're kind of poking holes a little bit into the objective, uh, absolute reading of it's actually John 14, verse six hmm. and seven that... Um, you know, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life in that way seems like, well, at least it causes questions. Let's say that. Yeah. It causes us to wonder like, okay, really? So what about other religions? What about people who never believe? What about the Christians who don't actually live like they believe this? Right. And more. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, I know I've not yet been able to, and I don't think 
I'm pretty sure you haven't either of like, but I've not been able to say, therefore Jesus doesn't mean that. And everybody's just a okay all the time, you know, like right. maybe I can do that. I mean, I can do whatever I want, but you know what I mean? But um, I think if not at, at the very least, there has to be a lot of um, reconsidering and uh, what that might mean and reconsidering what, uh, what it means for us, if you know, whatever Jesus is saying there and kind of like, so what do we do about that? Given how we may or may not reevaluate some of that. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think for me, like, why can't we just put it back into its context first? You know, well, now not... that's a, we can't do that because then we can't be better than everybody. <laughs> yeah. So we just, I don't know. It's not necessarily going to produce an answer. That's what the Bible's supposed to do. At least that's what I believe it's supposed to do. A scripture, like a text, is forced to make us think and grapple with it, right? But if we're going to resist the objective absolute thing, which is what I will resist because I'm not uh, in favor of modern approaches, modern philosophical approaches, then let's take it away from its high above the text view and put it right back in. So let's do it just very briefly. Jesus and one through four is talking about his father's house with many rooms. I've told you where this is. So you know the way to the place I'm going. And Thomas asks, Lord, we don't know where you're going. First question. Second question, how, do we, how can we know the way? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except for me, through me. If you have really known me, then you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So for... For Thomas, and then Philip asks a stupid question and gets into trouble, right? So <laughs> right, yeah. We don't need to go into that just yet. There's but, always one of those. <laughs> but for Thomas, verse 7 is really important. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. Well, that's not an if-then statement as if Thomas doesn't really know him. Mm-hmm. right? Thomas does really know him. So it's kind of like, since you have really known me, you also know the Father. And because I'm illuminating that to you, from now on, you know him and you have seen him. So he's talking about, okay, so you know the Father because you're with me, and I've already told you that I'm the way to the Father because Mm -hmm. no one comes to me, to the Father, except through me. And so what he's doing there, I think, in the text, is he's assuring Thomas, hey, you know the way, don't worry about it, it's all right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like that too. I think the part that gives me a little pause is if he hadn't said no one, then I'd be a lot more comfortable just being like, yeah, see, just put it in context. It's not what it means. Um, and I, yeah. again, I'm not saying that no one means that, therefore, it has to be like we were taught. But, you know, I think that's, for me, that's the complicating thing that gives me a lot of pause right. still of like, okay, I, I like what you said, and I think I j- tend to agree. You know, I think that's... Um, truer to how Jesus usually taught things, you know, Um, like if Jesus was making grand pronouncements that applied to everybody, like maybe the Sermon on the Mount or something, well, it was pretty easy to tell because, well, where was he who was listening, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, But there is that no one in there, and I still don't know exactly what to do with that. Um, Yeah, I still don't know exactly what to do with that. Yeah, but we have to we have to start there. Like that mm-hmm. doesn't answer the question. 
it contextualizes the question, right? right? So we have to start by saying to Thomas, Jesus is saying something like, hey, you know the way because you know me. And in fact, not only do you know me, but you know the Father, which would be a huge thing for somebody to say in that oh, world, yeah. right? Because they don't know the Father in the way that Jesus is talking. He's talking a relational knowing, right? Right. And I think, too, you have to, we, not just the narrative of John itself, like the book of John, but we have to think about the narrative of Thomas, right? Like, this really fits in, especially where, you know, Thomas um, doubts and then believes and then all of this stuff. Like, this would be probably one of the key moments in Thomas's story, but it'd have to be situated with all the other things that happen in Thomas's story as well. Um, right. Which is hard right, to which do. It makes me wonder, like, so we're doing biblical stuff, but it just makes me wonder, like, John later, John's the encounter with Thomas later. And what's mm. he say? Unless I see the wounds. Right. Put my so hands think, in them, yeah. Yeah, I think there's some, like, connection there of maybe not doubting Thomas, but remembering Thomas. He's going back to this of, I've seen the father. So he sees the father in Jesus's wounds, right? And I think that's right. pretty pronounced too. Yeah. But you're right. So I, I just want to make sure that we stay there for a minute because it's so easy to go back into the objective and say no one. But we, we, we do need to rest there first because that will influence um, not just the text, but the character of God that we learn from the text, right? And so what we learn from uh, from the character of God here is that he's caring and he's showing Thomas, look, you do know me. And in fact, because you know me, relationally speaking, you know the Father, relationally speaking, and you've seen him, which is really quite pronounced. And I don't know, for me, it's not, it doesn't take away the objective thing, but maybe it just re- uh, recasts it, recasts it in the character of who Jesus is. And Jesus is somebody who wants to know people. He wants to know them and, and be with them and walk beside them. And, you know, it's because it's got that fan. So for me, it's not the no one that causes problems. For for me, it's truth. <laughs> mm. Well, <laughs> because, yeah, the way, the truth. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. everybody spells that big T truth, right? right? Even some translations do that. Mm -hmm. And we think of truth, big T truth, as being objective, absolute truth. And I don't know if you can even make that case here. Well, in fact, I think whenever I've talked with, even now when I've talked with, say, other Christians and anything about like objective truth comes up, that's often the first thing they go yeah, to. Or right. it's the last thing they go to is saying, see, there must be because this. Right. right? Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe we need to... Um, not dismiss those things, but maybe like, it feels like to me, my whole life, that's the part of that section of the text that we've focused on almost exclusively and have missed, like we were just talking about the context and some of the other things Jesus says there, not to mention the relational quality. So maybe it starts with, well, hey, okay, let's just put that on the shelf for a bit. And what if we spend some time really meditating or thinking or you know, figuring out what some of these other things mean too. Yeah. That's what I'm kind of advocating for. Like even the verse first four verses about father's house. And a lot of us translate that into a mansion, which is kind of like 
Uh, of course, it's really big and has that, you know, capitalist idea of bigger yeah. is better and all that. But, you know, a father's house during this time would be a very intimate space. And with a room to spare, a room for me, that that's like an honor place, you know, right. in this culture. Well, and many, many rooms, right? Right. Yeah. Which also makes me wonder about the exclusivity of it. Like, um, right. You know, why do we need many rooms if we're all exactly the same, at least in those kind of terms? Um, yeah. So I, I think that I, I talk about this often. Um, you know, it's because we have these built in answers to things that we don't have room to really think through um, new ways of approaching the text. And so, like, I didn't plan to come here and do this, but I think that basically what I'm saying is the way we can handle this text is to let it breathe hmm. instead of give an answer to what this text means, right? It hmm. means there's absolute objective truth and that's Jesus. And the only way to be saved is through Jesus. And as you've been saying a few times, let's not just, let's not throw those away, but let's take a moment to breathe before we get there. And let's think about what the text means outside of that reading so that we, we can put the horse before the cart. And since we haven't had much time to do that, because we haven't been allowed to do that, we need to live in that tension of discomfort of, wait a second, does that mean that Jesus is possibly not the way in the way that we think about it? And the answer is, well, maybe, but we can't answer that question till we let it breathe. Well, at the very least, we need to ask that question, because I don't think I, until recently, ever even asked, is it possible that we're wrong about this? Yeah. And I think that's what, what, what um, can hang us up sometimes, too, is if you ask that question, you could decide, uh, no, I was right, right? But we yeah, never even right. think about some of the other possibilities because we just, well, we have the truth and we know it. Let's move on. And it's exactly. like, I, I don't know, like, it seems to me that um, for something that you hold as some kind of central part of your faith or fundamental part of your faith or whatever it is, um, that doesn't preclude you from thinking about other possibilities. And in a way, I might even say that uh, to really, truly believe something like that, you almost have to have thought about other options, too. You know, mm, yeah. I, I, at least that's how it has worked for me. Maybe that's not true for everybody, but, um, you know, when I've had some significant shifts in what I believe or uh, certainly, you know, how I live and that kind of stuff, which I have in the last few years, that was always because I had to actually give myself permission to, well, what about these other things? And some of them, you know, I didn't change because some of them I said, no, I think I was still right on this, but you really, I think, at least I had to, and I suspect this is true for most other people too. At some point, you know, it's a good thing to really, really ponder other possibilities, even if you don't end up changing where you land. So can you share some of the pondering you've done with other religions? Well, I mean, I think for me, uh, one of the things was um, especially in terms of, well, a good one was, what about the Jews, right? So I know, like, in my world, not everybody believes this, but I know a fair number of people who think that, um, you know, the church has become the new Israel, that replacement theology stuff, uh -huh. and therefore the Jews need to be saved through Jesus, just like everybody else kind right. of idea. And 
I guess I just always had trouble with the fact that, but wait, I mean, Christianity would not exist without Judaism, right? Yeah. And the Jews, all all practicing Jews who, you know, believe in the God of Abraham anyway, well, that's the same God that I believe in. And, you know, and then you can throw in any other number of theological things like Abraham, how he was saved if he believed in God, but not Jesus and all that kind of stuff. But I always just felt supremely uncomfortable saying, well, these people who believe in the same God I do, who without the system that they created, mine would not exist. Well, they're doomed, you know, they're wrong or they're deceived or whatever it is like. And then even like I thought about that, too, in terms of Islam, because I know they don't believe that Jesus is is uh, is a, the Son of God, but you know they they believe in the God of Abraham too. At least that's as my understanding goes. Um, so I guess one of the things I've really pondered is, well, how can that be? You know, how can it be that those people who believe the same God I do, well, they're out of luck. You know. They're yeah. doomed, they're deceived, they're evil, they're gonna burn forever. I just it just doesn't lie, it doesn't make it's not just it just doesn't make sense, but it sure seems to make God into well, honestly, it seems pretty monstrous to do that. Like you believe in me, but not the right way, even <laughs> though this you do it the way I told you to, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But you know, that well, idea I, depends on the kind of stuff we were talking about. Well, Jesus exactly. said it, so that things changed, you know. Is, is where they go with that. Well, and you're a good company, right? Uh, Paul, if you want a trip, read Romans 9 through 11, well, because he's trying yeah. to figure that out, right? I don't and know that I've ever totally understood, but hey. Nobody does, which is the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? The grafted in and grafted out and all that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when you think about it, not from a perspective of trying to get answers to that question, but Paul kind of grappling with that, um, which is, you know, a whole nother thing might, might cause some problems for people, but it's interesting to see how he's like trying to figure it out. Cause for him, the question was the same. And for Luther, it was the same. Now Luther went away that I would not advise, which is he basically damned them all to hell and said very anti-Semitic stuff, In including a lot of the Christians. <laughs> yeah. And he yeah. was just really frustrated. Uh, this is not excusing what he said or how he said it, but it was he was very frustrated because he thought as good <laughs> good christians usually do if only they had time to think about it the way it was really given to us <laughs> yeah you know then they would then they would uh, convert on mass is kind of how he thought about it yeah uh, and you know i can empathize with that uh in terms of that's what i inherited and i think i actually believe some of that growing up that if only they knew the right way mm -hmm. to say it or think it or whatever now uh, again don't go the anti-semitic route that uh, luther goes well but see that's the problem too is that a lot of those things especially about judaism but i think also about islam so but they were they were i didn't know this then but looking at it now a lot of it was wrapped up in anti-semitism and right. islamophobia right? right um well they don't worship the same god we do they're evil or you know um jews are legalistic and don't know Jesus or whatever it is. Like those have been part of the, the oppressive tropes that Western Christian society has used to oppress those people in a lot of ways. And um, there's another one of those, well, I don't, that can't be what God wants. Right. Yeah. Right. Is the answer. God doesn't right. want that. 
<laughs> well, and I think what's interesting that you're drawing out is something that I experienced not through interaction with Jewish people or the Jewish religion, uh, Judaism, but rather that, you know, it cements this weird narrative that we have that we have the truth. Mm-hmm. And so it actually does two things, right? It, it just, uh, what's the word? Not discourages, but dismantles other religions and brings ours up as the one true religion. And then there's all this battle about who has the true interpretation of the true religion. And each one of us thinks we do. Um, Right. And so I could see how that would be like a tower falling down because you're like, wait a second. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't treat other uh, Jewish people, especially or Jewish religion this way. And uh, was it like a dominoes effect for you? Um, I think maybe in a sense, I think it was wrapped up in a lot of other stuff that was going on in my life at the time too. But I think, I think, I mean, I think it, it probably did start with wondering about Judaism just because like I said, I said one day, well, wait a minute, Abraham was fine and he didn't believe in Jesus. And, you know, some people would say that he did, but I was like, yeah, uh, BS. Um, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and so then I think it kind of led to questions about other faiths too. And the other thing was like, I said, well, wait a minute, there are times in my, like, so in my very limited knowledge of certain kinds of Buddhism, which again is very limited, but every once in a while you'd find something like, wow, I think they understand some kind of truth better than we do. So at least in terms of modern evangelicalism, because that's what I know, that's the world I came from. Like, I think the Buddhists have a lot to teach us or teach them or whatever about being in harmony with the planet and nature and even like, even with like ourselves. Now, uh-huh. maybe not in the same way that they do. And I honestly don't know enough to to talk about that in detail. But, you know, this idea that a lot of the principles that they teach, at least in my minimal exposure to it, like those things are not only not bad, some of them are good. And I don't remember them ever being taught in my, in my faith even. So what am I to make of that? You know? Yeah. I like that. Cause I think, so the question that's like rattling around in my brain is one that I had as I was transitioning to was, is there a way to exonerate Jesus without bringing other people down, right? And this has been common theme, like when it comes to justification, is there a way for us to understand God's grace without making us really shitty sinners? Like, <laughs> can we do that? And my experience in my heritage is no, we can't. Right. right. But I'm experiencing right now that yes, you can. Is it tricky? Of course it's tricky. It's hard because the the natural tool is the contrast tool, right? We contrast the two between good and bad so that they both look equally more exponentially worse or better depending on where they are. And same with other religions, right? Can it be true that I learn something from other religions? And I remember... I remember struggling with this. I was in a class in my MDiv, and it was a very tough class because I think the professor was trying to ask this question. The The professor was very obtuse about it. Uh, he was very like hard to really get a read on what you wanted. And that's coming from me who can read what people want very easily, at least when it comes to intellectual stuff, emotional stuff, not the case. But Not this guy, though. He's... Uh... 
He's something. Yeah, this guy is something else. Anyway, so he wanted us to write a report on another religion and do it well. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Uh, so I chose atheism because I thought I can make a case that you're going to trick another gonna, religion. You've got a trick to get around it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can tell him how bad atheism is and so on and so forth. And of course, because he's much smarter than I will ever be, he saw right through it. And he's like, okay, you want to do atheism, then you do it with atheism, right? And it's like, no, you didn't fulfill the project. And that was my hardest project because I was trying to figure out a way to do what I wanted to do, which was to discount and belittle another faith in order for mine to, and, you know, atheism might not be a faith, but that was my old way of thinking about it, um, in order to make mine seem better. So that way, you know, Jesus comes out on top and it was like, no, wait a second. You can't do that. That's not how the gospel actually operates. The, the gospel operates by being awesome no matter what. Hmm. And so I, I continue to grapple with this. I've, we've talked about this when it comes to other uh, sects within Christianity. Like I learn a whole lot from Ryan and Ryan from me. And we've become much more comfortable with that. And I'm trying to become more and more comfortable with that in terms of other religions and my quick little thing of where that is for me is you bring up Buddhism, which is really interesting for me. Their understanding of suffering is just like right. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard to get my mind around of the acceptance of suffering in this world and what that means for the identity of the divine. Um, you know, can I take it as far as they do? Probably not, but I can at least learn from them and understand something more about the way I think about God, the way I believe in him and also who I am. Right. Well, and I, I think, I think the other thing that complicates a lot of this, which is not exactly what we're talking about, but I think I have to bring it up just because it's certainly involved is um, when you think about how we interact with people of other faiths, like we have to recognize the um, absolutely catastrophic effect things like colonialism has had on this discussion and certainly the way missionaries work and, you know, faith around the world. Um, you know, like a lot of the ideas that we talked about in terms of the exclusivity of truth in Jesus Christ, as we were taught, like that wasn't a new thing in terms of we didn't invent it in my lifetime, right? Right. And I mean, you know, missionaries went, Western missionaries went all over the world and did some pretty bad things. I'm not saying every missionary who did, did bad things, but I mean, you know, the legacy of colonialism and Christian missionary activity in Africa is not all good <laughs> or right. India. It's, it's bad, right? Yeah. Um, at least significant portions of it. And so, you know, to just keep going on like, well, ours is better. And yeah, those were bad, but it doesn't matter anymore. It's like, well, oh, hold on. You can't, you, I mean, not only is that not going to work, but you know, you might be perpetrating the same offensive offenses without knowing it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's part that's in there, too, because like, uh, 
I think for a long time, we've used Jesus and quote, the truth as a cudgel. <laughs> um, you know, well, we've got the truth. So it doesn't matter if we make you learn our language and sing the songs we know and tell you that your faith are demon spawn or whatever it is, because <laughs> right. Jesus is on our side. And not only is that problematic, but that led to some really evil things. Yeah. Well, and it highlights the harm it does to people, right? Right. We've been talking about our heritage, and it's so natural for us because we're Lutherans, or Lutherans, we're Christians, I'm a Lutheran, and, um, you know, we don't pay any attention to it because it's just the way it is, but, you know, what if we talk to somebody who had a completely different heritage, an African or an Asian heritage, or Polynesian heritage, right. where you have lots of different gods, and and that all of that defines who the people are, because mm -hmm. my heritage defines who I am. Right. And so you speak poorly about that heritage, then what are you saying about that person's identity other than the colonial bent? Right. right. It's like, no, we got to come in, we got to transplant our God because that's the true God and all that stuff that made you who you were, you have to get rid of it. And you have to have this like identity crisis <laughs> about right. who you really are because all that stuff is now evil or wrong or whatever. Not to mention the wider societal effects that kind of stuff has too, you know, right. like trying to, or in some cases successfully forcing a new religion on an entire country or tribe or nation or whatever it is. Um, that doesn't just change how church looks, right? That changes right. all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess then, so that kind of gets us to the point of, so like, so how should we interact with people of other faiths? Um, or maybe if we can't make a statement that says, this is how you should, um, maybe it's like, how might we do some of that different or, or something like that? Well, I mean, you can stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can try me for this if you want, but um, why don't we treat others the way we want to be treated? Mm, that sounds like some uh, liberal, um, <laughs> you know, I, that sounds like some, uh, you know, what's the word I want? Uh, Harvard theologian nonsense. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if we if we would want somebody to honor who we are and how we got to who we are, as Christians, why can't we just do that with other people? Why can't that be our starting point, right? Mm -hmm. Even if we get to a place where we want to believe, or maybe we do believe what Jesus says as an objective thing, the way, the truth, and life, and we eventually want to get to a conversion of some sort, I think treating people the way we want to be treated and walking beside them in their journey instead of using them as a conversion notch on our belt is probably the first step along the way. Well, and you know, I think about, I think oh, we don't always say it explicitly, but one of the things we're trying to say in this podcast is like, one of the things that has felt like it's, at least I, I would say this, I think you'd agree. You can tell me if you don't, but is that has been missing from my, um, my world of Christian faith has been the ability to have empathy in the mm. sense that, okay, so let's think about what would it be like for us if someone came along from a totally different place in the world and told us everything about our faith, which we hold as very central to our existence, right? It's mm -hmm. uh, And that's all wrong. 
you're evil, <laughs> or at least you're deceived <laughs> by evil. And now I want you to go to a mosque with me every week instead. Or now I want you to practice Zen meditation yeah. or, or whatever it is. And I have the power to make that happen. Right. Because I have the truth. And right. at best, we'd go, well, that's kind of quaint, isn't it? Right. That's the best reaction someone right. has to something like that. Uh, the other reaction is tell them to, you know, uh, go jump in a lake or something. Well, no, the worst reaction would be they have literal power to make you do that. And now you've got this like uh, problem in your life where you're like, well, I believe this, but the powers above me say this, right? Go to the colonialism type stuff. I mean, just imagine if somehow history had been different in some weird alternate history universe where, uh, and I don't know how this would happen, but just go with me here. Like, colonialism had been the opposite and yeah, somehow, right. you know, it had been the other way and Christianity became the colonized religion instead. Right. And it, I mean, that's the thing is like, okay, so I think the fundamental part behind a lot of this is I don't think we've even stopped to ask ourselves what it would be like if we were the other person or the other faith or, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're not that person, but can we ask, I wonder what that might be like, how might that feel? Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of thing. I know that's, I think that's one of those things that's, I think, I don't know, it seems to be a struggle for not just Christians, I think a lot of people. Um, And, you know, I I don't know that it has to be, it's maybe more uncomfortable than hard, I think, but. Yeah, it's certainly uncomfortable. And that's why a lot of people avoid that. Right. I think what the immediate question will be is, okay, well, if I do that, then what? And my response is always, You'll know when you start well, doing. It. I mean, we were constantly saying, slow down. You know, yeah. you can get to the then what, but right now is like, just do that and, and, and wait and see. You know, I mean, yeah. gosh, people in my world have always talking about waiting on the Lord, right? And uh, how God will show you <laughs> right. things as you wait and all this kind of stuff. And then here we are in the race car being like, okay, God, I got this one. You know, let's make our 200th left turn because we're in this car or whatever. So we'll get you 50 conversions by the end of the year. And if we don't, you know, I'm denying you and might be in trouble eternally kind of stuff. But (laughs) anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I think for, and the other thing I think is that I don't think this means that any of us, and I don't think either of us are saying this, that we have to give up our faith in Christ or that we have to, um, we don't have to become Unitarians. And this is not saying bad things about them, but just in the sense that we don't have to say whatever you believe is fine and we're all, it's all good. Um, I mean, you can, but you don't have to do that. But I guess I run into very few people who object to me talking about why my faith is important to me. And like, for example, why I think there's something unique about Jesus in the sense of what Jesus has done for me in my life. And that's a very different thing than saying, and you have to believe the same thing too. Right now, maybe that comes up at some point, but like we always do, this is what Jesus does for me. And that's because Jesus is God and you're going to hell. (laughs) And what if it's like, we just stopped at like, you know, I don't think most people, you could be in Saudi Arabia, maybe, I don't know, but you could be talking to a very devout, um, you know, a Buddhist monk or a devout Muslim or something. And if you're just, if you are both just talking about what your faith means to you, very few people, if any, object to that, you know? And then I think maybe as we often do, we're making this all our job when 
people's mm. hearts changing or beliefs changing is something that God is supposed to do anyway. You know, what comes to my mind as you say that is Elijah, where he's in the cave yeah. and uh, how, like use this as a metaphor, right? How often do we think we should be the thunderstorm or the earthquake going in and shattering reality with our truth, with the truth, if you will. Got the truth hammer. Yeah. Yeah. And we go and we shatter everything and then we leave and we say, yes, we now have the truth. And I think what you're suggesting to use, to extend the metaphor is that maybe just living life with somebody and sharing your faith with them is the Holy Spirit working through the whispering of the wind. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I'm not saying that means that, I mean, maybe they decide at some point that they have faith in Christ the way you do and great. Right. But right. I guess what I'm saying is it's great to talk about your faith and we all should do that in the proper context and the right way. You know, you don't need to go door to door doing it. We'll leave that to other people, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, in the right way you can talk about it. And then I think we can trust God and I know that's hard to do and we don't like to do it, but yeah. you know, we want to, we want to force people into our faith, either through pure logic or power structures or whatever it is, because we think that we're doing God's work that way. Well, and because we've been taught to do that. Right. And yeah. also because we've been taught that if we don't, you know, horrible, eternal conscious torment waits for these people, you know, right. Or, right. or whatever variation of that. And so, I mean, it's not that I think that most people who do this are assholes or are sinister or are trying to set up religious domination, like um, consciously doing yeah. so. But I think we really need to step back and look at, yeah, but is that happening anyway, even if it's not as overt or not as as we would think seriously, like, you know, we're not we're not running um, religious schools that try to stamp out people's native languages or something anymore. <laughs> like was an actual thing, you know, right, yeah. like, there are certain Aboriginal languages in, in North America that right. don't exist anymore because they stamped them out, you know? Right. So, I mean, yeah, we're not doing that, but we can still do that in ways, even if we don't know or don't mean to do that, even if yeah. it's on a smaller scale. And I just, I don't believe that that's what Jesus wants any of us to do. Yeah, I love that because for me, the the my, the words that's going through my brain as we wrap up here is the answer to the question, how should we treat other religions, maybe is through the, the um, personality, the disposition of Jesus is um, humbly, hmm. with humility. <laughs> with, you mean we should treat others as better than ourselves? Yeah, as the Philippians too, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's as simple as that. Now, as we've made clear, simple and easy are two different things, right? Uh -huh. It's as simple as that, but it is very hard to do that because we, at Christians on the good side, we want to share what we believe is true. We want to share that with people and say, hey, you're missing out. This is great, but if we approach people with humility, like Jesus approached us with humility, I think that's the, that's the long game. That's the better way to do things because ultimately, Jesus did that. Did Jesus have tons of crowds? Yeah, but when then when he said what was really on his mind, they all left him, right? It was more in those moments that he had with his disciples as he was spending time with them that things really changed because then after he died— the spirit came and wonder happened. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, just it, wonder if we should recapture that. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think at the very least, we got to be a lot more careful about, you know, I think we've treated this as a one size fits all in terms of we're with mm. someone of the other faith. This is what we must say. Yeah. Period. And at the very least, we got to we got to trust the Holy Spirit to help us know what to say at that time. I mean, you've got all different kinds from when Peter stands up in uh, Acts 2 and rips them a new one about what they did to Jesus, to Jesus's, <laughs> you know, speech about blessed are the poor, right? Like these are very different yeah. ways of doing right. things. So at the very least, we have to be more sensitive and not assume we know how to do this every time with every person, because here's the thing, this is fundamental newsflash, like revolutionary epiphany kind of thing. People are different, so we should acknowledge and remember that. <laughs> yeah. So humility and intentionality. Yeah, and slow down, right? Slow down, breathe. Like, and I think you know we're we're say, Nate and I are saying this because this is what we've been learning and still are learning how to do. We, yeah. uh, like I said, we're in the race car and. And we're looking for the thunderstorm. And sometimes God's in the still small voice and in a what? Tricycle? I don't know. Whatever <laughs> metaphor you want there. The idea being we think we know. Yeah, we think we know how things work. And I think we missed what God is doing because we're not paying attention. Do you think people need permission to do that? Do you think that's a, a big thing? And I don't know if we're going to keep this in, but do you think that's why there's this like pressure? Do you think people need permission that it's okay to breathe and that you're not sending people to hell? I don't know if we could do something like that at the end here. You know, I don't, do people need permission? Maybe, but I don't know who can give all these different people permission in a way that works. But I do think that um, there's an awful lot of fear wrapped up around this, right? Fear of denying Jesus, fear of doing it wrong, fear of people going to hell, fear of some other religion taking over the world or whatever it is. And it just seems to me that the gospel, which is based on love, mm. there's a problem when everything we do in regards to preaching the gospel of love is related or wrapped up in fear. Yeah. Like that doesn't, that does not compute. That doesn't make sense. Let me tell you about the loving God who's going to damn you to eternal <laughs> conscious torment and your families are going to burn for eternity. Right. Or if I don't tell you this, I might burn for eternity or right. whatever it is. Like there's something fundamentally flawed in that approach. Yeah. In our lectionary for Lutherans, we follow a, a reading schedule in lectionary, three year lectionary is what we're on. And today was the parable of the talents where uh, he gives five, two, and one, and then the, you know, the five and the two, they double. But what's remarkable in all that is at the end, in the translation I have, the third servant says, I was afraid. Yeah. And I was afraid. So fear guided his, his life, his living with this talent, with this 20 years worth of salary, and he just buried it because he was afraid. And I, I highlighted that same danger. There's so much danger in doing things out of fear, and especially when you deal with other people, right? In our own lives, it's no good because up in our brains, if we're afraid, it's going to lead to not fun thoughts and really terrible times. But when it comes to other people, it gets even worse because then we do things and say things and act in ways that not only hurt us, but hurt others. And make it so that, you know, we get to a point where we're colonizers, if you yeah. will, or 
abusers at the very least without even wanting to or knowing that we're doing that. And I like that. Be aware yeah. of the fear that's in you. Because, I mean, I think there's a good case to be made for any kind of, um, you know, any kind of racism or hatred or those terrible things like homophobia, misogyny, uh, whatever it is, take your pick, racism, all that, anti-Semitism. Most, if not all of those are based in fear, right? So we hate gay people because we're afraid they're, I don't know, I don't I don't know, whatever straight people are afraid of about gay, the gay agenda or whatever. <laughs> and we're afraid of... Destruction uh, of the family. Yeah, and we're afraid of uh, Muslims because we think we've been told that they're going to come kill us in our beds or whatever it is. And we've, we're afraid of women having the same rights as us because, you know, whatever it is. And I think, I'm not saying fear is the only thing revolved, uh, wrapped up in those things, but I think fear is the genesis of a lot of them. And that's why we got to, that's why we got to not let fear run our lives, seeing as we, you know, supposedly believe in the God who is love. Yeah. Perfect love casts out fear, right? Right. Cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I really like that one. That was fun. Yeah. I don't know what made it so fun, but I, you know, I wonder if even for us, there's something of, uh, there's still sometimes for me a bit of a scandalous feeling to considering some of these things, right? <laughs> Maybe like, that's what it is. Like, uh, wait, could it be that God's not the monster? I thought, <laughs> you know, could it be yeah. that at the very least I've conceived of this wrong and maybe it's not so stark, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That feels good to think about that. It does. Uh, today I was preaching that and talking about, you know, because this parable is in the, um, end of the church year. And in the end of the church year, we talk about eschatological stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is cast as an eschatological parable of the master coming back and, and getting mad at the one who doesn't do anything with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait a second. It says you are afraid at the end. And who wants to be afraid of Jesus? Mm. Right. Why is that something we we prop up as true about Jesus? Why are we afraid of the judgment? We should not be afraid of the judgment. In fact, we should be ready for the judgment because then we can go to the goats, right? That whole thing. No. Um, yeah. But what I said in our confession is I said, you know, think about a time when you've um you've thought of God as being this evil judge who's going to do this. And that was the confession, was doing that. And as I was doing the confession, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's like almost all my life. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> yeah. And it was this really like clarifying moment because the whole sermon was away from that interpretation anyway. It was about how the king was very upset and so forth because the guy squandered his life, not because he wasn't going to receive eternal salvation. Um, anyway, I don't have to go into that, but it was like this moment where I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. Um, that's me. Mm. Yeah. All right. So I guess I better do the close, huh? Sure. Thanks for listening to our podcast episode on other religions. Uh, I'm not sure if that's what you expected in our conversation. Ryan and I, we just enjoy doing this and figuring out where it's going to go as we do it. Uh, but we would love to hear your feedback. We enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you thought at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. 
and share with us any ideas that you might have, any specific feedback, any good or bad, whatever you have for us, we would love to hear so that way we can adjust what we're doing and uh, help you in your journey. And that's how we're going to end it. You are on a journey and we know that. Uh, This podcast is for those on the frontier where you don't know what you believe or why you believe it. You're just following Jesus wherever he leads you. And along the way, we learn a bit about ourselves, about God, but also how can we treat each other and our fellow human beings even when they don't believe what we believe. 